we purposely wanted people to be able to own their own property. I personally believe that the quickest way to financial independence, well, I shouldn't say quickest, the route with the most longevity to financial freedom and wealth building is by ownership. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 278 with Jinky Eccles. Joining me is Jinky Eccles, an incredible advocate for affordable housing and the founder of Peacewind, a successful tiny house community in Cocoa, Florida. Jinky is here to share her remarkable journey and the lessons she's learned along the way from bootstrapping her own tiny house community from buying the raw land to getting the codes and zoning changed all the way to developing the houses and opening up for business. From her experience as a builder, developer, and landlord of her own tiny house community, Jinky has firsthand insights into the challenges and rewards of creating an affordable and diverse community. Jinky's passion for community building and the unique perspective she brings to this male-dominated field make this episode a must-listen. So sit back and prepare to be inspired as we explore the world of affordable housing and tiny house communities with Jinky Eccles. I asked John and Finn Kernahan of United Tiny House Association what they love about their precision temp hot water heaters, and here's what they told me. Hey, Ethan, uh, this is uh, John and Finn Kernahan with United Tiny House Association. We organize tiny house festivals. Oh, yeah, I guess so. First and foremost. We have a total of three precision temp on-demand hot water heaters. The thing we really like about these, and, and, and folks know this, I think they picked this up on Finn and I. If we don't like something, you'll never hear us talk about it. So the two things we noticed uh, that, that we noticed and experienced immediately, uh, they took painstaking effort to make sure that it was done right and installed. And so that, that was pretty cool right there. The other thing is the continuous on-demand hot water that just ran forever without any fluctuations or anything. I, I can't imagine... An application, especially in our environment and our lifestyle of being the, the nomad, transportable, mobile, tiny lifestyle where uh, one of these units aren't good to use. Right now, Precision Temp is offering $100 off any unit plus free shipping when you use the coupon code THLP. So head over to precisiontemp.com and use the coupon code THLP at checkout for $100 off any unit. That's P-R-E-C-I-S-I-O-N, temp.com, coupon code T-H-L-P. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. All right, I am here with Jinky Eccles of Braveheart Properties and TCC Consultants. Jinky is the owner and developer of a 35-acre tiny home community in Cocoa, Florida called Peacewind. In spite of being told that creating a cohesive tiny home and small cottage community was impossible, she did it anyway and did so beautifully. Jinky Eccles, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. I'm very grateful. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I'm really excited for you to share kind of your story and your journey with with our listeners because I think there's going to be a lot of interest in in hearing what you've done, what you've accomplished, and and kind of your mindset and and maybe how to replicate it. Um 
So can you tell us more about your journey in creating the Peace Win community and, and maybe some of the challenges you faced along the way? Absolutely. The elevator pitch on the backstory is basically I had a midlife crisis okay. and um, decided that I really wanted more life and less responsibility and that um, going back to my roots and living tiny was probably the best way to do so. Mm-hmm. So I set out on a journey to figure out how to live in a tiny house legally. Okay. So you, um, that sounds like kind of like the individual journey. Like I want to live in a tiny house legally, but you know, (laughs) sounds like that, that vision kind of, did you, did you build the tiny house and then kind of say, well, I, now I need a place to park it or was it all kind of connected? It was all connected. It started with, really wanting to live that way and prioritize my my life experience over all my stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I went on a search to find property and in doing so realized that there were so many other people that had the same dream or desire mm-hmm. that I did. And I felt that kind of like in the field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. And I decided that if this was something I really wanted and it was important to me that I wanted to be the history maker to make it happen, not only for myself, but for, for others too, who wanted it. That's awesome. That's, that's so inspiring. Um, can you kind of give us just the, like the stats, like what, what is peace wind? How is it, you know, how is it set up? How many houses are there? The, the kind of the numbers, give us the numbers. Sure. The facts are Peace Wind is a 35-acre property. We zoned it to be for tiny homes and small cottages, mm-hmm. so we're very diversified. Mm-hmm. It is in Cocoa, Florida. Mm-hmm. It has 84 lots in Phase 1 development. Wow. We have Phase 2, which is our clubhouse and our pool and our rec area, which is currently in permitting and soon to be under construction. Wow. And then we have another 15-ish, well, 14-ish acres that has another 54 home sites on it. Okay. However, we have chosen to keep it wooded. It's a very beautiful, natural Florida wooded setting with oaks and pines. Mm-hmm. And um, we have hiking trails and dog walking paths and, and just nature areas in that 15 acres that we're maintaining. Beautiful. So, yeah. So we have currently about 54 lots that are for privately owned individuals. They own their lot, own their home. Okay. And then we have about 30 that are rentals. Okay. So there are houses there that people rent? Yes, we are very diversified. Like Mm -hmm. I said, we have ownership in all forms, tiny homes on wheels, tiny houses on foundations, and cottages, you know, house, actual site built houses up to about 1800 square feet. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And we have lots that are rented Mm -hmm. for people, people who own tiny houses on wheels can rent their lot. Okay. And just rent the lot. And then we do have homes that are built here by Braveheart and we rent them out in their entirety. Wow. Wow. That's quite, yeah, runs quite the gamut. So do people buy their lots or do they rent their lots? No, they buy their lots. Okay. Interesting. That's, we have both. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a much different model than I've think I've ever heard of before. Usually you, you know, you think of a tiny house community and it's 
you know, there's still kind of this landlord tenant relationship where, you know, people are bringing their own tiny house and then renting a spot for it that they might not necessarily mm-hmm. actually own. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you specifically wanted to avoid? Yes. We do see that around a lot of times there'll be RV parks, mm-hmm. um, properties zoned as RV parks that will kind of convert into a tiny house situation. And so they rent their lots because they can't legally deed individual lots to mm-hmm. individual owners. Okay. We purposely wanted people to be able to own their own property. Okay. I personally believe that the quickest way to financial independence, well, I shouldn't say quickest, the route with the most longevity to financial freedom Mm. and and wealth building is by ownership and not renting. So, yeah, that was a very important component. Braveheart is also a nonprofit. So we have the ability for people because they can own their own lot and their home mm-hmm. they qualify for mortgages mm-hmm. and can a lot of times if they're lower income they can qualify for grants and VA funding and FHA and first time home buyers so nice. ownership was really really important to be able to have awesome how how did you go about finding the 35 acres of land for the community? And, and were there criteria that were important in selecting the location? Yes. And I basically just was determined to find something. So I just started driving mm-hmm. every day. I would just drive around and I would drive around. And I am blessed to have some friends in the real estate area. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, hey, send me any of the MLS listings for five acres or more. Okay. So we wanted something that kind of was out of the way, okay. felt isolated and not in a bad way, kind of cozy and cocoonish and, mm-hmm. and out and, and removed. But we also wanted it to be extremely convenient to things that people need. So we looked at some beautiful, beautiful properties more in the west midwest part of florida but they're so remote that it's very difficult for people who have to commute to work or to get to the store so that that was some of the criteria and the other criteria of course was something that we could realistically afford Uh i didn't find that i bought an exorbitantly expensive piece of property it was not at all affordable (laughs) Uh, that's a that's a whole nother story but we also needed something that was not highly desired or sought after that yeah. was kind of a blight, if you will, mm-hmm. so that we had a little more a little more motivation for our county and our our zoning to allow us to do what we wanted to do okay and what like yeah. what was there when you bought it um <laughs> a whole bunch of transits and uh Drug addicts. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was a derelict property. It was all overgrown. Mm-hmm. It was extremely rough. It had kind of become a homeless camp, if you will. Okay. And what it started out to be originally back in the 1980s was it was supposed to be a trailer park. And the person developing it got into a little trouble with zoning okay. and um, 
got they went bankrupt. So they lost the property and then the property just sat derelict for about 20 some years. Okay. So and were you looking specifically for something that was zoned for an RV park? No, and it wasn't zoned for an RV park. Okay. It was zoned for manufactured housing. Okay. And no, I wasn't. I was just looking for a big enough piece of property that could do what I wanted to do. Okay. So, and, and you mentioned that you had to find loopholes and kind of write, write building codes and zoning codes to make the community legal. Can, can you elaborate on that process and, and like the specific codes you had to develop? Absolutely. That's probably my favorite part. That was a challenge and it was a fun challenge. Uh, The county actually did give me the nickname of the queen of loopholes, um, which has been really fun. (laughs) You know, it's when you're dealing with any type of government entity, it gets a little frustrating. Mm -hmm. It is a little bit challenging for a lot of reasons, but I just had to set myself up with the mentality of if you can't beat them, join them. Mm -hmm. So I decided to immerse myself in the county codes and the rules and the legalities of zoning and building codes Mm -hmm. and find any little crack in the door that I call a loophole that would allow me to do what I wanted to do. The first step in doing that the first loopholes I found were in definitions, Mm. the definitions of what things were and how they could be manipulated Mm -hmm. in a good way to accommodate a tiny home and then manipulate the verbiage for tiny homes in order to fit those loopholes. So we originally started out being able to use the um, modular definition for a modular home. Okay. And utilizing a um, a certain specific construction methodology to be able to put some homes here in the early stages before we were actually rezoned. Interesting. Okay. So then then you got rezoned. Mm-hmm. What What are you rezoned as? <laughs> Um, I partnered up with a couple tiny home builders uh-huh. and we went to work on our county to actually write a building code for, for tiny homes on wheels and tiny homes on foundations. Nice. Yeah. It became problematic within the government system of planning and zoning and building because they, they're very much black and white mm-hmm. and they very much have a checklist. and. Anything outside of the box, if you will, is a little bit challenging for them. Right. So we wrote a code so that they could have a new box, (laughs) so that they could have a box where tiny houses would fit. Mm. And then we went to work with our county commissioners to get a legal tiny house zoning. Tiny homes on wheels or on foundations in our county can be in one of two places. Mm-hmm. They can be in a on a property that is zoned manufactured housing, mm-hmm. or they can be on properties that are zoned agricultural. Okay. If you want to own a community it has to be in manufactured housing zoning. Okay. So what the county agreed to do with for us and with us was to allow a tiny house zoning 
a new tiny house zoning within the manufactured housing arena. So that's what we did. So we are now zoned manufactured housing and tiny home zoning. Wow. Yeah. Very impressive. And so I I, I just Google mapped Cocoa, Florida. Is that is it in the same county as Orlando or is it a different county? Different county. Okay. We're about But it's near Orlando. Yeah, we're about thirty minutes east. Yeah. We're on the on the beach side. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So have you seen other, you know, jurisdictions or people try to kind of replicate what, what you've accomplished? Replicate? No. Um, try to do something on their own. Mm-hmm. Yes. As a matter of fact, I have helped uh, a few municipalities in, in our area, in our general area, get new codes and zoning for tiny houses. Yeah. Awesome. So. That's a great segue into, you know, what advice would you give to someone who's interested in starting their own tiny home community? I have lots of money and uh, lots of determination. Okay. Um, No, I'm just just kidding. Just kidding. I think, first of all, you, you have to do it for the right reasons. You have to have a level of passion and determination and fire within yourself Mm. to be able to to be able to uh, to surmount the obstacles that you will face mm. and you will face obstacles it's it's not impossible but it is difficult but it is doable and immensely rewarding when you get to the other side of the hill that's the first thing i would say the next thing i would say that would be the most helpful is know your area know know where you want to make this community mm-hmm. and go to the county and or your city it depends, you know, what your jurisdictions are within your building and zoning, but mm-hmm. go to those authorities and find out, find out what the, what the planning and zoning want, what is their motivating factor. Mm-hmm. Usually it's money, usually it's property taxes, and then go to your county commissioners, get to know them. And I, I don't really mean like know them, like sit down and have coffee with them. I mean, like, look at their platforms because they're elected officials. So look at their platforms. What did they run on? What's important to them? What's, what is it that they try to convey and articulate that they're for? Mm-hmm. And use that. Use that to your benefit. Find out what those elected officials stand on, their platforms, and then create a sales pitch, if you will. Mm-hmm. to pull those heartstrings to kind of motivate them to want to do what you're doing. So here's to, to I know that's kind of gobbledygookish. So to clear that up, let me just give you an example of what I did. In our particular county, we're, we have the space center. We have a lot of very high end corporations uh-huh. and our county, the most important thing is dollars. Tourism dollars, young family dollars, consumer dollars. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing to our county. So we have some areas within our county that are wonderfully historic and old in nature and very charming Mm -hmm. neighborhoods and areas demographics, but they were dying. They weren't growing because they weren't attracting young families. 
part of the reason why they weren't attracting young families is because young families can't afford to live within our county. Mm. It's too expensive. They can't rent here. They can't own here. So my sales pitch, if you will, my marketing agenda to our county commissioners was this is a way to bring housing to the young families that would be coming here as young executives Mm -hmm. for the Space Force and for Elon Musk and for Harris and for for the technologies areas that we have like Northrop Grumman and and the big tech areas that we have growing here. And um, that's good for them. Tech dollars are really good for county commissioners Mm -hmm. and for government entities. So they like that sales pitch. The other thing that is a motivating factor for for our county in particular is housing for people who are retiring. We have a lot of high-end executives here and space personnel, mm-hmm. astronauts and stuff like that that want to retire here and it's too expensive. So that's the same thing. You know, older people want to downsize. They need something that has longevity and and can be affordable for the long term. Mm-hmm. And um, then the last thing that I pitched to them was, why not be the first? Why not have a really good marketing tool of being a pioneer and a trendsetter? And yeah, I had a few county commissioners that really liked that the sound of that. So that's how I went about it. But you need to get to know your area, your county commissioners, and the powers that be and find out what their motivation factor is and design a community that can meet the needs that they have, even if they're not your needs. Wow. And so how long did this whole process take? Like, when did you, maybe when did you close on the land and (laughs) when did you put your first (laughs) tiny house in? Well, it took way too long. Um, I always say in building and development, always plan 20% more money and 20% more time and then add another 20% and you're about on target. Okay. Yeah. So it took me about two years to get the courage to even think I wanted to take this task Mm -hmm. and to quit my job Mm -hmm. and to do this full time. So that was, it's been 10 years total. It'll be 10 years this November 2015 in wow. total from 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 my mental conception of this is what I want to do. So it took me two years to get the courage mm-hmm. to actually take this huge leap of faith and liquefy all my assets. And then it took me in that two years, I was also trying to find the property. Mm-hmm. We closed on the property in November of 2015. And it took me five years to get through planning and zoning and code writing and legal ease. And we have been in full-time, full-on development and sales for the last three years. Mm. And we are will be done in the next three months. Wow. So, yeah, eight years active property owner and development and those five years of rezoning we had a lot of infrastructure stuff we had to put in you know like electric and water and sewer and yeah. all that really fun messy expensive stuff yep and getting you know site plans done and and all of that kind of stuff that took the five years along with rezoning and and getting codes and stuff but active development will be three years you bought the land 
before you knew whether you were going to get the okay from the property? Was there was there ever a moment or several yeah. moments where you were like, oh my gosh, this was a huge mistake. I'm not going to be able to do it. Yeah, pretty much every day, all day until about three years ago. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There were some really, 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 really tough, tough days and, and months and, and years. Yeah, for sure. Wow. And really, truthfully, yeah, probably a week did not go by up until about three years ago that I didn't think this was the biggest mistake I'd ever made in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I survived and I'm on the other side of the hill and now I'm like, it's it's a dream come true and it's awesome. And it, it was really hard, but it was totally worth it. Wow. Well, I want to kind of shift into talking about the community itself and just kind of, you know, there's, there's a, when people say like a tiny house village or a tiny home community, I think that that can mean like a large range of things all the way from just like essentially a glorified RV park all the way up to like a very intentional community with like group meetings and meals and, and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So what is the, what's the community vibe? What's the, what's kind of the plan there? Well, I think that's great that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. I think that is actually a really important thing, for lack of a better word. I think that's a really important point about tiny mm-hmm. house communities mm-hmm. is that they are all unique. And I think that's important. I think as a society, we need to rebuild community and um, community looks different for different people. Yeah. And um, when you build a community around what your heart desires and mm-hmm. what your passion is, birds of a feather flock together. So mm-hmm. you will attract like like minds and like people. Mm-hmm. So for our community, specifically our community, mm-hmm. what was important to me was to be extremely diversified, both in house choice as well as people groups mm-hmm. and income groups. What was also important to me was to have an organic, as best we could, synergistic, holistic type community. Uh So we have on-site gardens. I grow a lot of food. We have community gardens. We share that. That kind of feels, when I say that, that kind of feels like a hippie kind of vibe. And we're not horribly hippie here, but we do really like good food. (laughs) So we, we have a tendency to grow food so that um, uh-huh. we can have really delicious, fresh stuff that we just pick off the tree or off the vine. And um, that's really important to us here. It's a great community builder to plant and grow food together. Yep. We also have a lake that is a rec area. It has a gazebo. It has outside seating. It has lights. And it ha- you can fish there and people hang out and do group studies there and all kinds of stuff. And then when we have our community clubhouse and rec area done, we will have different types of meetings and get togethers in that particular space. Mm -hmm. One of the things we will definitely be doing because I, I love, love, love yoga. So we will, you know, we'll have some exercise classes in there. Mm -hmm. We'll have holiday parties in there. We'll do, you know, whatever. You know, if people want to do a group learning session of some sort, we're kind of open to that. But because community is really, really, really important to me Mm -hmm. and 
being able to share life with other people is really something that I feel is needed in our society today. We do try to foster community events. So we're a very close knit group here in the sense of where we all say hi. Of course, there's people here that I wouldn't necessarily want to have dinner with, but mm-hmm. um, I like them all the same. I say hello. And uh-huh. then there's other people here that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my, this is my best friend ever, you know? Yeah. So we, we try to be really conscientious of, of people's boundaries and their spaces. But at the same time, we're, we're all cordial to each other and, and we all get along. And I, I have to say, this is one of those things I was told many, many times over the last 10 years that this will never work. You can't have diversified people groups. You can't have diversified houses. You can't have diversified income groups. And it work because people are too different and they won't get along. And I think probably the thing that I'm proudest of the most with this particular community is that has been completely and utterly false. We are all very different Mm -hmm. and we all get along and we all respect each other. And it's awesome. It's, it's really, really great to, to appreciate the differences and the uniqueness of each house and each individual and each family. And it's, it's worked and it's worked really, really well. That is awesome. Um, so with the, the lots being sold, are there, is there like an HOA fee? Is there, you know, is there some kind of ongoing fee for people who, who buy a lot just to help contribute to the pond and the walking trails and and all that stuff? Yes, there is. So because we are actually a legal tiny house community, mm-hmm. we're not an RV park. Um, mm-hmm. We have to be what's considered in our county a PUD, which is a planned urban development. Okay. And under the laws for our county in the state of Florida, that requires us to have an HOA uh-huh. so that all of our common spaces, our dog park, our kids playground, mm-hmm. our lake, our, you know, mm-hmm. all that, the common spaces that they have insurance and they're maintained. So yes, we do have an HOA. I hate HOAs. I <laughs> So we we have done the minimum required by law. So okay. our HOA really does nothing other than pay our lawn guy and pay the insurance and pay the electricity and the water, the utilities for for our common spaces. So our HOA fee is $37.68 a month. Wow, that is really cheap. Yeah, and um, that is based on a budget. The HOA fees are paid yearly. I think they come, I think that's like 400 and some odd dollars per year. Mm-hmm. And um, that covers the budget for our lawn guy to maintain all of the green spaces. And like I said, the insurance and the stuff that we're required to have on those spaces. Okay. So, yeah. And Braveheart is a nonprofit. Um, Mm -hmm. How does that work? So we have, like I said in the beginning, Mm -hmm. it's really important to me for people who otherwise couldn't afford houses. Mm -hmm can. I have a real um, 
uh, strong. Uh, uh, since I, I don't probably shouldn't say a curse word on here. So, so since I have a very, (laughs) since I have a very, very strong inclination that um, nobody should should not be able to afford housing. Uh I wanted to be able to provide rentals or other means to people who wouldn't be able to afford to live within this county mm-hmm. if they work in this county. So we have different churches and different community organizations, the, the Veterans Association, mm-hmm. Habitat for Humanity, different organizations that will help fund or subsidize a rental house for someone who could not afford to rent in our county. So in order to do that, to take tax deductible contributions Mm -hmm. from those organizations and be able to subsidize someone's rent, I had to be a nonprofit. So that's why we did that. Nice. What would you say some of the, are are there any challenges with living in a community such as Peacewind? And, And what about some unexpected benefits? Yes, there are challenges. I think there may be more challenges for me than others because I live here. I live in a tiny house. Uh I have two dogs that I walk multiple times a day, but I am also the builder. Mm -hmm. I'm also the developer and I'm also the landlord. So it does get a little challenging for me because I have to be more strict than I would like with boundaries, both Mm -hmm. work boundaries and personal boundaries, so that people don't just knock on my door at midnight saying, hey, um, I need this or I need that. So I've, yeah, I've had to be very clear and very strict with these are my work times. These are my personal times. This is when it's okay to approach me about something about work and so on and so forth. Our lots are really big. So as a community, as a whole, I think maybe the ch- the biggest challenge is maybe for people who decide to go tiny and don't get rid of enough stuff and find that they fall back into the mentality of, of having extra stuff. And so they think they need a, a garage and mm. uh, five sheds and, um, you know, their, their property becomes a tiny house with a whole bunch of sheds and a garage and they have more storage space than they have house. That would probably be, be the, the biggest hurdle, I think, for some within the community. Mm-hmm. The benefit is I get to legally live in a tiny house, which is absolutely fabulous for me. Mm-hmm. I love living in a tiny house. I love the fact that it it really forces me to prioritize things that don't necessarily fall in a consumerism agenda. Yeah. It forces me to be outside and it forces me to 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 really be intentional about decisions. The benefit of living in the community itself is that I, I have a, a fabulous tribe here. We we have a fabulous group of people here that the one thing we have in common is that we 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 all want to live in a tiny house and um or a small house. You know, some of our houses are a little bit bigger. 
but that that's the commonality and that that really creates a a really nice community for us nice can you tell us more about your experience as a woman in the tiny home development space and some of the unique challenges you may have faced yeah sure uh <laughs> wow how to to address that without uh I, I well, first I'll say I am a radical feminist, mm-hmm. so this will probably come across that way. And I have to say, when I was forty-three, I had a midlife crisis mm-hmm. and became a fireman paramedic and went to work for our county as a fireman. So, my entire life, I have been in the male-dominated work arena, if you mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. So. The biggest challenges with that is uh, being a woman in a male-dominated field. Mm -hmm. I think specifically with builder, developer, and changing codes and working with government um, entities, those fields are are dominated by by men. And men have a tendency to not, not really like women telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> um, they, um, yeah, they don't like it. So I, I have had to figure out a way to be both feminine and masculine at the same time, if you will. Mm-hmm. I, I've had to, to learn to use my authority in a way, my knowledge and my authority and my position as some people would see as powerful, I, I don't particularly, but we'll use that word. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn how to use that in a way and present that in a way that is not threatening to the men who who I need their support. Yeah. Yeah. How do you see the tiny home movement evolving in the next five to 10 years? I think we're at a precipice right now mm-hmm. where... Government, municipalities, counties, cities, states, they're not going to have any other choice because something's going to have to give. The housing situation is out of control in the United States, Mm -hmm. both for cost and for land development. And um, it's going to be propelled quickly, quickly forward out of necessity. I do participate in affordable housing within the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very much a part of that space. And um, they're all moving to to tiny houses, mm. uh, every one of them for affordable housing. And not even so much anymore for the affordability of building the tiny house, because as we know, that has gotten very, very expensive over the last five years. Yeah. But more so for the affordability of long-term use and maintenance. Yeah. My electric bill is $25 a month, you know, so my, my long-term maintenance living in a tiny house is very minuscule. So you can make very little money and maintain a tiny house if, if you didn't have to have a mortgage on the house and so on and so forth. So a lot of government entities are seeing with the big government dollars building smaller homes and tiny homes that are energy efficient as a means to housing people at lower income levels. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, it's sad and exciting at the same time that, you know, housing has become so expensive, but it's also, I agree that there's, you know, we've, we've 
kind of reached and passed a tipping point where tiny homes are are now really accepted and widely understood and it's it's just a slow piecemeal of kind of pushing each individual county and city to to come up with how they're going to accept them. Yeah, and you know what Ethan I think is really great is that there's properties like mine mm-hmm. and like Braveheart and there's other ones. You know, there there are several small communities, they're all very different. But there's several around the United States and globally, as a matter of fact, that have been functioning long enough with tiny homes to where there's a prototype. So, you know, like we've been functioning now for eight years, but specifically more like five. Yeah. And there are other communities across the United States that have been functioning and functioning well for three to five years. So there's that historical precedent has been set. So there are prototypes. So now, now governments and, and the people and the powers that be that have the ability to, to make the change across the spectrum so that it's easier for people like me and you and, and different people who want to develop communities or even for for cities and counties to develop communities it's easier now because they can go well hey Brevard County did this here's the code here's the zoning and here's what they did or you know this county did it so i think that that's really really helpful because there've been enough pioneers at this point creating communities that work and are beautiful and function well mm-hmm. that there's things to look at and and mimic and do and and the proof is in the pudding right yeah. so so somebody's like yeah this is working this is working this is this is doing what we want it to do therefore let's replicate this nice um what are some of the future plans and projects you have in mind for Peacewind? <laughs> well, we're going to finish this community. Um, like I said, probably we, we only have, I think it's seven or eight more lots left to sell and we'll be sold out and all of our rentals and rental lots are full. Uh-huh. So once we finish our clubhouse and pool, this development is officially done. And I thought I was going to retire. Okay. And just jump in my camper van and be a full-time van lifer going and, and hiking with my dogs and having adventure. However, life, as you know it, yeah. takes really strange turns sometimes. So I have just started TCC Consulting mm-hmm. because I have been asked by a few investors Mm-hmm. to consult and help them do some a couple of tiny house developments. So it looks like I am going to be traveling and helping other people create their dream tiny house community, awesome. which is really exciting. In yeah. Florida or, yeah. or elsewhere? No, <laughs> elsewhere. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Next week I'm going to meet in North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, so uh, it looks like there's maybe going to be one in North Carolina in the mountains and um, one somewhere on the ocean. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that's going to be on the East Coast, 
you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, I don't know, or if that's going to be in the panhandle of Florida. Okay. So we'll see. Well, very exciting. Yeah. Well, you've been so generous with your time. I really enjoyed getting to meet you and and learn all about what you've accomplished. Um, Do you have any resources, you know, books, YouTube channels, just uh, anything that has inspired you or that maybe helped you along the way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Golly. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I felt like the Lone Ranger when I did this. Yeah. So, um, you know, back in the day, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. about the only thing that was out there was um, Dee. Yep. Shoot, what's her name? Dee Williams. Um, she's in, yeah, Dee Williams. Yeah. And um, Jay. Jay Schaefer. And what's his name? Yeah. Jay Schaefer. Yeah. <laughs> So those were kind of the only two things really out there. And um, I know Lee's community, in it's Washington, right? Yeah. Yep. Those were kind of the things I originally kind of looked at. And um, I visually and um, conceptually, I I did a lot of research on Ross Chapman's pocket neighborhoods. Okay. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the actual functional side of it. And then the other thing I looked a lot at were historic neighborhoods, mm-hmm. fishing villages, specifically in our county, but um, all around the world how old communities used to function in places like the Codswalds in England and, um, and different things like that. And go back to, you know, how, how Indians did it, you know, and, um, and historical sites and how people lived in community. So I did more of the historical kind of thing. And then the rest of it, I just kind of did a lot of meditation Mm -hmm. and just kind of, tried to just make the best decision from my heart from a place of love when I was faced with a decision kind of just was winging it. Nice. But, yeah. Well, Jinky Eccles, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. It was fun being here. Thank you so much to Jinky Eccles for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including a complete transcript photos of Peacewind, and links to learn more about the community at thetinyhouse.net slash 278. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 278. Make sure to check it out because I believe they still have a few lots left for sale. So if you're looking for a place to live in a tiny house, this could be a great fit for you. Also, thank you so much to Precision Temp for being the sponsor of the show today. We love working with Precision Temp, and we think that they offer really awesome tiny house hot water heaters. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.